Tremendous song. Take your Bibles, please turn to the book of Psalms, chapter number 63. Psalm chapter number 63. I encourage you to be back tonight in the service at 5 for our evening service. We have double headers every Sunday. Double headers. The Braves were supposed to play the Nationals yesterday and they had to cancel the game because of the rain. So they're having a double header today. And everybody's excited. You say, we're going to have church twice on Sunday. They're like, why? Why? Why not? I love church. Highlight of my week. Amen. Some of you, some of you have never been to a Sunday night service. You don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. I like Sunday night better than I do Sunday morning. Amen. Get all the hypocrites out of here. We can have church. Amen. <laughs> oh, you walked right into that one, didn't you? Stand with me, please. Psalm chapter 63. Psalm 63. The Bible says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed, meditate on thee in the night watches because thou hast been my help. Therefore in the shadow of my wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. My right hand Thy right hand upholdeth me. Those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. I want to preach a little bit this morning on this thought, the appeal of desperation. The appeal of desperation, Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight, this morning. Lord, as we search the scriptures, I pray that you'd work in hearts. Give me liberty or bring to my remembrance the things that I've studied, the things that you've laid upon my heart to share. May God's people this morning be stirred and challenged. If there's somebody here today that's not saved, I pray today they would get saved. And may we leave here this morning, Father, with a desperate desire for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing You can be seated. I think that we can all agree that in our nation today, in our churches today as a whole, maybe not in this church specifically, but in our churches as a whole and in our nation, there's a tremendous lacking of a desperation for God. I'm afraid we're dealing with a take it or leave it attitude when it comes to a lot of people and their approach to God. If they can have God in their life, they'll take him. If they can't have him, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference to them one way or the other. They'll carry on with their life, carry on with their plans, carry on with their pursuits and carry on with their jobs and without God or with God, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference to them. Vance Havener said this, He said, Sunday morning Christianity is the greatest hindrance to true revival. In this chapter, 
We could have looked at several of them, but in this chapter specifically, we see what I believe to be a tremendous example of a man that is living with a desperate desire for God. If we wanted to outline this chapter, we could outline it like this. Verse number one, we see David's desperate appeal for the person of God. Oh God, in verse number one, he says, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Do you see the desire, the desperation of David for God in verse number one? He was desperately desiring God's person. Let me say this. You're not really desiring God until you're desiring his person. A lot of people are enamored with God's performance, but they're not that interested in him as a person. They like what he does. They like what he can give. They like what he brings, but they don't really have a desire for him. In verse number one, David is desperately desiring God, God's person. I want you, I desire thee. Over and over. Early will I seek thee, early. First thing in the morning. When I get up, I want God. My soul thirsteth for God. My flesh longeth for God in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. We see in verse number one, a desperate appeal for the person of God. Secondly, there's a desperate appeal for the power of God. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. David said, I don't want just to see you and I don't want just your presence, but I want to see a manifestation of your power and your glory. Amen. Every time they have a spaceship take off down in Cape Canaveral, Florida, people will gather on the peninsula there in the grandstands where they can watch that magnificent display of a rocket taking off, all that fire and all that smoke and all that propulsion and just the sound and the, and the energy and the excitement of that lift off. They, they go to see that demonstration of power. Oh, and how many people today want to see the power of God? David said, I've seen his power. I've seen his glory. I've seen it in the sanctuary. I'm glad this morning, praise God, I'm in a place where I can see God's power manifested and where God's hand is moving in lives and in hearts. We see a desperate appeal for the power of God in verse two. Then in verse number three, down through verse number five, we see a desperate appeal for the provision of God. He said, because in verse three, thy loving kindness is better than life. What a statement. Thy loving kindness toward me is better than life. Why would you say something like that? I'm gonna tell you why. Because without the loving kindness of God, you don't have a life. I mean, let's just be honest. If you don't have the love and the kindness of God demonstrated towards you on a daily basis, you don't have much of a life. 
Jesus told the disciples and those standing around, he said, the thief cometh but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And those of us that have been recipients of the loving kindness of God has to agree with David that it's better than life. It was better than life before the loving kindness of God. I'm amazed every day at how good God is to me. I find myself multiple times in a day saying, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. I thank him when I'm standing in the shower and I got hot water pouring over my head. I've been in places where they didn't have hot water. I've been on mission trips where I had to bathe out of a bucket and the water was ice cold. I do believe they kept it in the refrigerator before they gave it to me. I've been sitting in a shower stall pouring water and buckets over my head with cold water, wishing I had a hot shower. Thank God for indoor plumbing. How many of y'all had to walk in the rain this morning to the outhouse and back? Come on. Back in the good old days. God's been good to us. We were able to ride to church this morning, sit in a beautiful sanctuary with padded pews and air conditioning. It's so comfortable in here, some of you's fighting sleep. God's been good to us. We eat more. We throw away more food in a day than some people in third world countries eat. You know you're rich when you've got a garbage disposal in your sink to grind up all the food that you scrape off of your plate. Come on, y'all. Desperate appeal for the provision of God. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. In verse number five, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. I believe that's just an Old Testament biblical reference to a little KFC right there, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Marrow and fatness. That's better than a three-piece chicken dinner. Come on. I'm on a KFC kick right now. I tell my wife, have you got anything cooked? She says, not yet. I said, don't worry about it. I'm going to swing through KFC and get a three-piece chicken dinner with some mashed potatoes and gravy and some coleslaw. I, I felt a little something on that right there. Come on. And I take it home. Me and Spencer went by there uh, Friday or Saturday, went by there, and we got to the house, me and him, and he, he set the box on the table. I said, I ain't eating out of no box. Give me that box. Take all that chicken and put it on a nice plate. Dump that mashed potatoes and gravy and coleslaw. Put it on a plate. Big old glass of iced tea. Sweet, sweet tea. I said sweet tea. I'm talking about so sweet that if you run out of pancake syrup, you can use that. Amen. <laughs> Got me some of that Mr. Stubbs barbecue sauce. Mark that jalapeno and honey. Just baptize that chicken. Charlie's sitting there going. I said, Charlie, you ain't getting none of this. This is mine. You can get on out of here. You know what he said? He said, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. He's talking about how much he enjoys the provision and the blessings of God. That's what he's talking about. Verse number six, down through verse number 10 is the appeal for the protection of God. When I remember thee upon my bed, meditate on thee in the night watches because thou hast been my help. 
Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth a heart after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. There shall be a portion for foxes. What he's talking about. He's talking about the protection of God. I believe in this chapter we see a tremendous illustration of what it means to have a desperate need and desire for God. I got to thinking about so many places in the Bible when God laid this thought upon my heart, my mind just went in so many different directions. I was like, good God, I don't know if I can preach all this in one message. I got to thinking about old Jacob over there in Genesis chapter number 32 where he was left alone, the Bible says, and there wrestled with the man till the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. What do we see? We see Jacob was desperate for a blessing. He was wrestling. He was wrestling. Had a had a leg. The Bible says they had a leg that was touched out of joint. And yet he continued to wrestle. And, and God said, let me go. He said, I will not let thee go until you bless me. I'm desperate for you to reach down and touch me and do something in my life. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. That's Genesis 32, 26. And he said, what is thy name? He said, my name is Jacob. He said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Jacob asked and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the police place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. I wonder if Jacob... In the days and weeks and years that followed, the Bible says, as he halted upon that thigh, from that encounter with God, I wonder how many times he said, I'm glad I didn't give up. I'm glad I didn't take no for an answer. I'm glad I was desperate for a blessing from God. God changed his name. God changed his life. God changed everything about him that day. Talking about being desperate for God. In 1 Samuel chapter number one, we see a woman by the name of Hannah. Jacob was desperate for a blessing in Genesis 32, but Hannah was desperate for a baby. In 1 Samuel chapter number one. Oh, what a story. The Bible says in verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She vowed a vow, said, O Lord of the host, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto the handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli marked her mouth. Eli was the priest sitting there on a bench up against the pillar, propped up watching this woman pray. Now Hannah, she spoke in her heart, verse 13, only her lips moved, but her heart, her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she'd been drunken. Eli said unto her, how long without be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. I'm desperate for a child. I want a son. I want a baby. The Bible said her husband, Elkanah, loved her and gave her a double portion, a double worthy portion, but she was not satisfied. She wanted a baby. She was desperate for a baby. She went to the house of God 
God and she began to pray and pour out her soul in bitterness. The Bible says in bitterness of soul and she wept sore. She said in verse 16, count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken Hitherto, then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. The Bible says she went home, and her and her husband were blessed nine months later with a little boy by the name of Samuel. When you read about the life of Samuel, you read about the stories of Samuel, how God used Samuel in that nation, you've got to trace it back to a little mama that was desperate. She was desperate. She wouldn't take no for an answer. I was thinking about the appeal of desperation. These that called out to God, that word appeal has a double meaning. The word appeal is a petition or a prayer or to ask. You go before the judge and you make an appeal. You take a court case and you have an appeal. You want your case to be heard. You want them to listen to your story, your side of the story. That's one use of the word appeal. But then the other meaning of the word appeal is something that's attractive. Guys, guys look for a girl that's appealing. I thought I'd get a grunt out of you boys. Y'all gave up on that, didn't you? Right now, you're just settling for a woman that can make a bologna sandwich, amen? It don't matter what she looks like. But the point I'm trying to get, get to is that word appeal means something that has an attraction, something that has, an, uh, something that has a, a, a desire attached to it. And I got to thinking about this matter of having a, 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 a desperation, a desperate desire for God. Not only is the prayer and the appeal of desperation found in the Bible, but in the Bible is also found the other appeal of desperation in that when God sees that desperation, it appeals to him. Amen. Gets his attention. Amen. Nothing appeals to God more than the appeal of desperation. When he sees that we're not playing games, and a lot of people are. When he sees that we're not just going through the motions. When he sees that we do not have a complacent, casual attitude toward him. When he sees that our needs are so great that they require his intervention, that's what appeals to God. You want to get God's attention? Get desperate. Is everybody still with me? When a person cries out to God or comes to God out of desperation, he is moved by that. There's something appealing to God about a person that just cannot live without him. James says, draw out of God and he will draw out of you. What we need today is a renewed desperation for God. What we need today is a group of people like David in Psalm 63 whose entire life and every aspect of their life is consumed with a desperate desire for God. Let's look back at our chapter this morning in chapter 63. In verse number one, the Bible says David was seeking God. Is that what your Bible says? Early, well, I seek thee, God was being sought and searched for by David. When you search for something, that means you need it. Sometimes I misplace things and I was like, oh, well, I'll find it eventually. But if I lose my wallet, I lose my car keys, everything shuts down. And everybody around me shuts down because they're going to have to help me. Come on. 
help me find my keys. I can't go anywhere till I get my keys. I get my wallet. My whole life just come to a screech in the hall. I got to have this. Imagine if we had that attitude toward God where nothing else happened and nothing else mattered until we found the God we were searching for. He's searching for God in verse number one. In verse number one, he's thirsting for God, thirsting for God. Now here in America, we're spoiled. We got drinks, all kinds of drinks. We go to restaurants, they got all you can drink, free refills. That's not normal around the world. You go around the world and you buy a drink, you'll get a can and you're lucky if it's cooled. In Micronesia, do the restaurants have free refills where they give you a big old glass and they just keep filling it up? Do they do that in Micronesia? No, they don't do that. Only in America do we do that. We drink just because we like to. We got two aisles of nothing but drinks. Now the water's for the people that are thirsty. All the rest of the people just like to drink. Y'all still with me? Let's just be honest. We hadn't really been that thirsty in our life. But I wonder when's the last time we got thirsty for God. I mean, where we didn't care what we had to do. We didn't care. I got to find God. I'm so thirsty for God, I can't even focus on what I'm trying to do. I told about the time I was working at Lake Oconee and we was working, they didn't have power. They didn't have any water down there. We was working in the summer. We was doing construction, building a deck right on the lake. And I got so thirsty and we didn't have a vehicle. They dropped us off, left us. I didn't have water, I didn't have a canteen, didn't have a, didn't have a water spigot, didn't have a faucet, didn't have nothing. And boy, my mouth was like cotton. I was so thirsty, Larry. I was so thirsty. I was all I could think about. And I finally said, why am I thirsty? There's a whole lake full of water right there. He said, you're crazy. I said, I'm thirsty. I went up there and crawled down and stuck my face down in that lake. Yeah, it was nasty. But it quenched my thirst. It had all kinds of little floaties in it. <laughs> hey, man, it had all kinds of little stuff floating in it. I didn't care. I was thirsty. Are y'all with me? I would never drink after anybody. You get thirsty enough, you will drink after them. He was thirsting for God. In verse number one, David was longing for God. My flesh longeth for thee. Verse number one alone, I think, puts David in a completely different tier, a completely different level of desperation for God that many of us have no idea what he's talking about. Verse number two, he was anticipating God to see thy power and thy glory. Even as I've seen him in the sanctuary, I don't believe David walked into the church and sat down and plopped down in the pew and act like it was just any other day. He was longing and anticipating for a demonstration and a manifestation of the power and glory of God in the sanctuary. He was looking for it, which means when it showed up, he didn't miss it. He was anticipating God in verse two. Verse three, he was savoring God. Savoring God. Thy loving kindness is better than life. He was savoring God and praising God in verse number three. In verse number four, David was blessing God. And the Bible says he was reaching out to God with his hands uplifted in verse number four. Verse five says he was satisfied with God. Verse number six tells us David was remembering God and meditating on God in the bed in the middle of the night. Are y'all getting this? In verse seven, he's hiding in God. In verse number eight, he's following after God. Hard, my soul followeth hard after thee. 
Verse number nine down through verse number 10. Again, he's rejoicing in God. What am I saying? I'm saying David's demonstrating here desperation for God. I want to turn your attention this morning for just a few minutes to a couple of examples that deals with what I'm talking about. Because David was not a man that had a complacent and casual and formalistic religion, just something to scratch his little religious itch a couple times a month. This is a man that pursued hard after God. He was desperate for God's touch and working and moving in his life. But this morning, we're going to look at a couple of places in the Gospels that people that were so desperate for God that God literally stopped in his tracks. Their desperation appealed to him and caused him to literally go out of his way to meet their need. In Matthew chapter number 20, turn over there with me this morning. Matthew chapter number 20, we find a story of a couple of blind men. A couple of blind men, verse number 29 as they departed from Jericho, I'm in Matthew 20, verse 29. As they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still. And called them and said, what will ye that I shall do unto you? They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open." So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received strength and they followed him. Number one, God's looking for an appeal of a desperation that cannot be shut up. Imagine these two blind men sitting on the side of the road. And this multitude draws near and they can hear people whispering and hear people talking. And somehow or another, they were able to discern the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Here's two men that couldn't see. For whatever reason, they're sitting on the side of the road having to rely completely on hearsay in order to know what's going on. And they heard that Jesus was on his way. And the Bible says they begin to cry out. They begin to cry out. And they said to him in verse number 30, the men cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And there was a group of people standing around them that could not help them. Furthermore, there was a group of people standing around them that didn't want anybody else to help them. Stay with me now. There was a group of people that knew the capabilities of Jesus to touch and heal, knew the power of Jesus. Obviously, these, these two blind men knew it. They heard somewhere along the way that Jesus could help them. Have mercy on us. And the Bible says that crowd, that multitude rebuked them said, you need to just shut up. You need to be quiet. You're making too much racket. You're making too much noise. Hold your peace, they said in verse number 31. But see, these two blind men were sick and tired of being blind. They were sick and tired of the limitations in their life. They were sick and tired of the handicaps in their life. They were sick and tired of going through their life, missing out on so many things that God had to offer. And though there were people standing around them trying to get them to shut up and hold their peace and don't say anything, the Bible says that a desperate cry came out of them, yet the more, and they cried the more. I believe they got louder. I believe they stood up. I believe they were waving their hands, saying, over here, Jesus, over here. 
We need some help over here. You know what we need this morning? We need a group of people that in their desperation for God will not be shut up by the people around them that want them to shut up. And trust me, the world wants us to shut up. <laughs> Social media will ban you. They will suspend your page. You'll get a strike if you say too much. You'll get reported to the boss on the job if you're one of them. Somebody told me this morning, said, preacher, if I would just give everybody on my, in my, everybody I work with, give them all a track, I'd get fired. Right. You know what? These two blind men were surrounded by people trying to get them to shut up. They wouldn't shut up. Their desperation far exceeded their dignity. Come on now. Their desperate desire for God pushed all their inhibitions to the side. They didn't care what anybody thought. They didn't care what anybody said. They were sick and tired of being blind and it was a chance for them to get some help. And in their desperation, they cried out to Jesus, please have mercy on us. And I love, I love, I love the statement in verse number 32. And Jesus stood still. Their desperation appealed to him. <laughs> There's a multitude of people. There are hundreds, possibly thousands of people in that ray, in that road, walking down that street. But these two men over here that were desperate, his ears perked up. He stood still. I imagine his disciples said, Lord, what's the problem? What's the matter? He's like, hang on just a second. There's a couple of guys over here that really, really, really want me. I believe I'm going to focus on them for a little bit. Are y'all getting this this morning? The Bible says he had compassion on them. I love verse 32. He stood still and he called them. I wonder what he called them. I wonder what he called them. I wonder if he called them by name. I wonder if he called them by name. I wonder if he called them and just said, hey, hey, blind men. See, they weren't politically correct back then like we are now. Hey, hey, you two over there that can't see. Hey, did you call me? Did you want me? He called them. I mean, all, you got to wonder what all these people standing around that were trying to get them to shut up had to think when now Jesus is talking to them. Lord, have mercy. We could park right here and preach for about a month. The Bible says they wanted to see. They wanted to have their eyesight restored. And their appeal of desperation appealed to Jesus in verse number 34. So Jesus had compassion on them. Man, there's so much in here. Verse 32, what will that I should do unto you? If it had been the average American, say, well, I sure would like to have a couple million dollars, Lord, if it's okay. If somehow or another you could just make that magically appear in my checking account, it sure would solve a lot of my problems. Lord, if somehow or another you could figure out a way to get my mother-in-law out of the picture, I sure would appreciate it. You know what they said? We want to see. Could you do that for us? Could you help us see? The Bible says Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. I wonder this morning, how desperate are you 
Do you let those around you that don't want to hear it stop you from wanting God? Do you let those around you that don't want you to get help, do you let them silence you, intimidate you? You just zip it. Quit saying anything. Turn over to Matthew chapter 17. Turn back a couple chapters. We see secondly, there's a story here in Matthew chapter 17 about a woman. Woman of Canaan, the Bible says. That's not the right chapter. I'm looking for that story. I've got the wrong verse in my Bible. Let me just read it to you. I got the wrong chapter. The Bible tells us there was a story in verse number 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter was grievously vexed with the devil. Do you see this desperation again? She's come all the way from Canaan. She's come all the way from outside of the country, the Bible says, and she's crying unto him the same prayer, the same things that the two blind men prayed for. Have mercy on me. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word, verse 23. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. If you find that chapter, let me know. 15. Chapter 15, thank you. I thought for a second I had the wrong version up here. <laughs> Matthew chapter number 15. That's what people like that has all different Bible versions. They can't figure out what the preacher's oh. preaching about. They all say all kind of crazy things. Verse chapter, 17, fi, chapter 15, here we go. Boy, that looks a whole lot much more better. My daughter's grievously vexed with the devil, verse 22. Look at verse 23. But he answered her, not a word. Write this down, number two. The appeal of a desperation that cannot be shut down. Now, this, just, just stay with me just a minute. This is one of the most amazing stories in the Gospels to me. Of course, we live in a day and age where everybody's snowflakes. Y'all know what a snowflake is, don't you? That's people that are so sensitive. So sensitive. They get so bent out of shape over just silly little dumb things. I mean, they have to go see their therapist because somebody said something they didn't like. Let's look at this woman just a minute. Let's learn something from this woman right here. My daughter's grievously vexed with the devil. Have mercy on me. She came all the way from Canaan to tell him that. But he answered her not a word. And that wasn't enough. The disciples came and besought him saying, send her away for she crieth after us. I'd have fired every one of them jack legs right there. Staff members right there, absolutely worthless. Send her away. She's crying after us. You want to turn and look at him and say, what do you think we're here for? You bunch of morons. What do you think we're here for? To enjoy the scenery? You think we're out just hiking for exercise? We are here to minister to people that have needs. Of course, there's going to be people crying after us. But they said, send her away. Send her away. Get her out of here. Make her leave us alone. 
Look at what it says. He answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now here he is talking about her, not behind her back, but talking about her to her face to the disciples saying, I'm not here to help her. Is that what your Bible says? She's from the wrong side of town. She's from Canaan. I'm only here to help the Jews. <laughs> Stay with me. Some of y'all are getting tense right now. You're just getting so worked up. Send her away. And he looked at his disciples, didn't even look at her. He said, I'm sent but for the lost sheep of Israel. She's wasting her time calling after me. I'm not even here for her. Verse number 25, then came she and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Oh, my soul, my heart bleeds for this woman whose daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But God's not done yet. But he answered her and said, it's not meat. That word meat means it's not appropriate. It's not proper. It's not meat for me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. That'd be hard to take from anybody. But imagine coming all the way from the outside the coast of Canaan, making that long journey, finally finding the one you're looking for, and you're using every, every word and trick you know. You're asking for mercy. You're appealing to him for your daughter that's grievously vexed with the devil. And he said, not right for me. Take what belongs to the children. Cast over here to you dogs, Gentiles. But see, she was desperate. She was desperate. You know what she said? That's what I am, Lord. I'm just a dirty old stinking, rotten, mangy, cur dog. That's all I am. But even the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Lord, I didn't come up here to ask for the whole loaf. I didn't come up here to ask to be a part of the family. I didn't come up here and ask for anything. But if you could just somehow another rake off a few crumbs and throw them my way, I'd be so thankful. You know what? That appealed to Jesus. I believe Jesus right there said, boys, y'all don't say another word. Next one of you that opens your mouth, you're going to be working at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> we've, done, we've done this long enough. Yeah. This woman's for real. This woman ain't playing. She's desperate. She's desperate for her daughter to get some help. And the Bible says Jesus looked at her and said, oh, woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Can we say it this morning? Her desperation appealed to him because she would not be shut down. Everybody was trying to shut her down. She wouldn't be shut down. We need that kind of desperation for God today. You got time for one more? 
Turn over to Luke chapter 19. I know this one's right. Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19, we find a story here of a man after my own heart. A man little, little of stature. He's my friend, he's my buddy. We be peeps. Jesus entered Luke 19 verse 1, passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Well, we ain't we ain't alike on that. He sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Just stop right there. Number three, I'm talking about the appeal of a desperation that cannot be shut out. Now look what it says in verse number three. He sought to see Jesus who he was. You have to believe that like those blind men and like that woman from Canaan, that he had heard some things about Jesus. No doubt as he sat there at that tax collecting table, people stood in line to pay their taxes. No doubt many of them were talking back and forth about this man named Jesus. They had heard about going from town to town and city to city and the things that he had done and the miracles he had done and the wonders that he had performed. No doubt while he was counting money, while he was stealing money from people, while he was cooking the books, no doubt he heard about this man named Jesus and there came a day in his life when he said, I want to see who he is. I want to find out what kind of man he is. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to go find him. I want to see him. Twice it tells us that he sought to see Jesus who he was. He could not for the press. That word press means the crowd, the throng, the multitude of people that was gathered around him. And apparently he was so short he couldn't see over their heads. So Jesus is there somewhere in the square, somewhere in the street, somewhere in the field. And people are all gathered around him and Zacchaeus because he's short. He's trying to see and he can't see. He's trying to look over everybody. He can't get in the, he can't see. They got him shut out. Reminds me of that, that man or that woman this morning, that young person that's got so many limitations and they got so many shortcomings and they got so many faults and failures and they feel like they're on the outside and they so desperately want to be on the inside and they want to see him and they want to know him but they can't get to him. They've been shut out by everybody else. A lot of people would have just went home. Not Zacchaeus. He ran some numbers. He figured out where Jesus was going. He said, I believe he's going up that way right yonder and there was a tree. And the Bible says he ran. He ran and climbed up in that sycamore tree. We got grown men today that'll climb a tree to shoot a deer. They wouldn't climb a tree if their life depended on it to see Jesus. See, that's the difference in them and who we're talking about this morning about old Zacchaeus. Bible says he ran and climbed up in the sycamore tree to see him. He's doing all of this so he can see Jesus. He's been shut out and pushed aside. He'd been blocked from being able to get in. The Bible says when Jesus came to the place, verse five, he looked up and saw him. Boy, what a statement. He was trying to see Jesus. Jesus said, you can't see me, but I can see you. <laughs> I can come to where you are. Well, you want to talk about the roles being reversed. 
He went from being on the outside of the crowd, not being able to see Jesus, to being up in a tree, and Jesus comes stood up under that tree, and Jesus was the only thing he could see, and he was the only thing Jesus could see. Out of all them people that made up that crowd, that press, that was pushing him away and was blocking him from Jesus, all those people just melted into the horizon as Jesus focused on the face of Zacchaeus. And Jesus said, I'm going to your house today. Out of all these people that are here, you're the most desperate. And that appeals to me. I'm going to your house. I could go to anybody's house here, but I'm, I'm going to your house because you was willing to climb a tree just to see my face. Are y'all getting this this morning? What am I saying? I'm saying God is impressed and moved by our desperation for him. Hebrews eleven six says this, and I'm done. It says that he is the rewarder Huh? He's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed. There may be somebody here today say, Pastor Shifflin, my life is such a mess. My world is such a mess. I don't know if Jesus could help me. Can I tell you something? You get desperate enough, I promise you, he will help you. No question at all in my mind. There may be somebody here this morning and say, Pastor Shiflet, I don't know with 100% certainty that if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I hope I would. I, I think I would. I don't want to go to hell. I don't know anybody that wants to go to hell, but I don't know for sure. I can't say that I'm 100% sure I'm going to heaven if I were to die today, and I want you to pray for me. Would you be honest enough this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just quietly slip your hand up? Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Please pray for me. Anybody anywhere? Anybody anywhere? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I want you to remember me in prayer. Anybody anywhere? Anybody? We would love to help you this morning. It would be our greatest privilege to help you this morning. Would you let us help you? I wonder if you're here this morning and say, I'm just, I'm not sure God can help me. I promise you he can. There's no situation too big, too bad for God not to be able to intervene. Would you let him help you this morning? The altar's packed. There's folks all across the front, but there's room down here for more. While the pianist is playing, altar's open. Would you come?